Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2021. Episode 332, Language Matters, Clear vs. Flavorful Terminology. Presented by Jonathan Lavalli, Senfeng Lim, and Misha Bushyager. Sorry for the audio blip, but thank you for joining us in Metatopia today. Uh, he, we're here to do Language Matters, uh, Flavorful versus Clear Language in Your Game. I'm, my name is Jonathan Lavalli. I'm going to be your moderator today. I've been making games for about 20 years, off and on, uh, with line licenses, with different companies. Uh, but uh, you're here really for our panelists, and we'll let them introduce themselves. So, Misha, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Misha B. Uh, she, her. Uh, she, they, actually. Uh, I, you can find me on Twitter as BG Gameworks or at my website, blackbrogameworks.com. Uh, I'm a writer, sensitivity editor, and editor for board games, card games, uh RPGs, LARPs, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, let's go with a short version of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and to you. Hi, my name is Sun Fong Lim. I use he, yeah, he, him pronouns. And I'm a game designer and developer from London, Ontario, Canada, the second best London in the world for like 138 years running now. Second best. Um and yeah, so I usually am found designing and developing other people's games. Um, and I work both in the board game, card game space, and in RPGs. Uh, and yeah, I do some cultural consultation on the side when, when needed, but mostly design and then a lot of development of other people's games. So I take other people's games and make them even better. That's my job. <laughs> awesome. All right, so let's go forward. Let's talk about uh, defining what is a flavorful term. Right. Uh, you know, cause some people, I know it, it may seem pretty common, but let's like common knowledge, but let's just try to make sure we're all working from the same thing. So Sen, what does a flavorful term mean to you? Uh, for me, a flavorful, flavorful term is a term that usually is used to add to the immersion factor of a game. Um, and the, it often does, but sometimes it may fail, and that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. We talk about flavor text, like at the bottom of Magic cards. I think that was where flavor text became really, really prominent. Uh, it was at the bottom of these Magic cards for Magic the Gathering, where it's just this little line of text that kind of draws you in, but doesn't give you too much. Uh, and you don't have to read it because it's not game critical. Um, but then we sort of started applying it to other aspects of game design. Um, and sometimes it gets confusing. So flavorful text to define it would be, uh, something that is a descriptive term that is not within the normal heuristic for language use. That's probably what I would say it is. What do you think, Misha? Right. Uh, I would also, it's a, a way that you use a term that makes your game different than other games, either genre appropriate. Uh, for example, uh, in Nurin, we used grace instead of dexterity. Um, and, and it's not necessarily that it's different. It's grace is a word. People understand this word, but it's not necessarily the word that most people use when they're talking about dexterity because people are used to talking about dexterity. 
Uh, so sometimes it's just, okay, let's use a similar word that makes our game stand out. And so it's not quite the same uh, versus, mm-hmm. you know, the same words that everybody else is using. Uh, another one, a good example is uh, GM versus DM versus I game just about to throw it in there. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, versus uh, master ceremonies or mistress of ceremonies. You know, which term do you use for the person who facilitates the game? Uh, and, and that's a great place that's full of examples of everybody's got a different idea. Uh, some people just use the same initials, GM, but they mean something different. Um, but everybody... Game moderator. Yeah, game moderator. Uh, 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 NPC versus uh, game master character, for example, or non-player character versus game master character uh, versus... Uh, uh, background character or whatever you know what these all mean the same things it's just each game has a different term for them and those different terms are what are what most people consider flavorful right so um <clears throat> talking about the the kind of gm kind of term i think we should kind of go in this a little bit deeper um beyond differentiation right why might there be some reasons to to try to create a more flavorful term for it right beyond just oh Dungeons and Dragons has a dungeon master. Uh, generic term could be game master. How do we? Yeah, let's just you know you know let's go forward. You know there are beyond just differentiation. Why might you want to have a different term? Well, I think the terms actually matter in that case because they set the tone for how we think about that role, um, which is slightly different than you know, calling dice cubes of chaos or something. They do the same thing. Um, but in the, <laughs> it's my favorite example, uh, but from the uh, GM, DM, storyteller, um, I've heard some other ones like archivist, uh, all those really do have a different tone to them that get away from, you know, that antagonistic uh, TPK kind of DMing, to, hey, I'm co-creating the story with you, or, hey, I'm the player's biggest fan, or, hey, I'm, you know, doing this other role where I'm archiving your stories, I'm the one who's writing all the stuff down, but you, the players, are telling the story, and I'm not here to, you know, wipe your entire party out. That might happen, but that's not my main role. Whereas I think a lot of, you know, some of the older school things have a little bit of that more not necessarily antagonistic, but can be, uh, whereas a lot of the more story-based, narrative-based uh, games where you can actually give narrative control to the players, imagine that, um, have a, a softer feel to them. And I think that functionality is different and therefore may require or warrant a new term. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Misha, just shift from dungeon master to game master. I mean, like, oh, I, I'm playing a game. We don't have any dungeons. Why would I call the person in charge of the game? Yeah, that's a simple a one, dungeon right? Dungeon master, you know. Uh, so some of it is, yeah, what Sun was saying is, is it's a shift from what is this, what is this role about, and defining it better for that game. Um, well, I mean, also to bring that to Misha, another point is like it, it changes the immersion. Because we wanted to talk about immersion, and and so like, what do you think is the right time to use the flavorful term, and when do you need to say, okay, while this is a really good space for a flavorful term, when do we actually need to be clear because this is going to create confusion? I think uh, flavorful text has its place uh, 
especially if it's explained well at the beginning. Um, and making sure that the flavorful text you're choosing isn't so far out of the realm of normal that it's distracting. Uh, you, you had given an example when we were chatting earlier about using Aether for your discard pile, which, okay, I can kind of see where that's coming from, but when I think Aether, I think more like magic than I think discard, so maybe that's not the best choice. Maybe, uh, you know, for discard piles, I think, you know, garbage bin or uh, trash pile or uh, refuse or recycle or, you know, things that mean more than, you know, nebulous space that just exists out somewhere else. Oh, you mean uh, the ether? Is, if, yeah, he's like, why would I have a nebulous space that exists somewhere else in a card game where I'm trying to define a pile? Uh, a nebulous space is not a pile. Unless, you know, you're talking about my office, in which case, yeah, that's, that's about right. Um, but so, yeah, picking words, and, and that's part of the editor role, too. It's like, okay, I see you're using this term, but it doesn't really fit because the definition of that term really doesn't jive with what you're using it for. Uh, and so sometimes that's where you got to like rein it in a little. It's like, okay, I, I, I get that it's cool, but maybe let's go less cool and go, okay, let's, okay. Discard means trash. Trash means discard. That I can understand. Aether. Why am I talking about a magic pile? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think there's definitely something about naming things that range from very concrete to more abstract. And the more abstract it is, the less I the less I want it to be, in some ways, the less I want it to be this flavorful term. But um, oftentimes, you know, if you're playing in a game, like, so because I work in board game space, and there's a lot of very, you know, a long history of board games where cards are called cards, dice are called dice, and if you call them anything different, we're going to have problems with uptake, right? And the number one thing that stops people from playing games is reading rules, and if they have to then get like this chart to find out that, oh, cubes of chaos mean dice and plaques mean cards and, uh, you know, your pawns are called this and all that other stuff, it's going to fall apart. Um, there's no background knowledge. That's what we call it in educational psychology. Uh, and if they have the background knowledge of dice and cards and, you know, roll and uh, move and discard and all these other things that are very common within the hobby of gaming, that background knowledge can make reading fluency, game playing fluency increase because they know how to do those things already. They don't have to second guess themselves. Um, I definitely have had games, not my own, but definitely games that I've read the rules of. And um, it's like, you are going to, um, I don't know, escalate the situation. Uh, and they just meant play a card. And then they go to define escalating a situation means playing a card to the whatever. Um, and I find in rules writing, and Misha, you might find this as well as an editor, that when you take, you know, a whole paragraph or two to write out a definition of something, you probably have gone too far. Yeah. If you can, if you can replace a paragraph with like a word, you, you've probably gotten it a little extreme. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> well, that goes back to another question I'm going to have is like, what about if 
you know, and it ties in a little bit to the the GMDM kind of thing. We use all these different terms for it to try to set the tone, but because of that kind of historical knowledge, or so you had a different term for it, and I just skipped my mind. Uh, people will frequently say, "Oh yeah, that's the GM," right? And then just not even use the term, but refer to it as the GM. So, I mean, just to bring that back out, is there still value then in in creating these flavorful terms for things? Uh, when people might use their 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 previous knowledge to just override it with what their shorthand is, I think yeah. so. Still. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, just because just because somebody is going to reduce it to something easy doesn't mean that it's not there. Uh, like, uh, there's like half a dozen words for stove versus range versus oven, but they're all still used, and yeah. so it's it's not detracting from it and what people are going to do at their table you have no control over <laughs> yes so I guess to throw, Sam, I'm going to ask you a question to just yeah. throw this out and say where's that line then where do you think that line that you cry I mean I know we, we've you put one of them where if you have a paragraph to explain a very simple action <laughs> yeah. you've you've gone over the line down the alley to the right and visited the park so yeah like I think it's when it serves a purpose. So Misha's example before of grace equaling dexterity is a super good one, I think, because grace is similar to dexterity, but it's not the same as dexterity, depending on the setting uh, of the world that you're playing and the characters that you're trying to play, the stories that you're trying to tell in that particular RPG. So, I mean... If you've ever made a PBTA game, you know that you have some stats, and those stats aren't necessarily what you think they are. Um, but so I play lots of masks. I like masks. And um, masks is really interesting because the stats aren't things like strength and dexterity mm-hmm. and constitution and wisdom. They are things like um, freak and danger and and they're actually really neat because they're your perception of yourself right and how you perceive yourself how you think other people perceive you and because they shifted it from you know stats that i am this strong i can lift this many pounds to uh i feel dangerous today because i just hurt somebody now i feel more dangerous and when i roll plus danger now it's going to be even better or worse depending on what you're doing um that fit the idea, if you know anything about developmental psychology, and I do because that's what I teach, um, that is a perfect example of how teenagers, superpowered or not, <laughs> think about themselves. They are a reflection of their friends, a reflection of the, the community that they're part of. And if somebody says something about them, they may take that on for themselves. Like, yeah, I guess I am that way. And Masks did that beautifully by changing the stats from you know, very measurable things that don't change, like your strength really doesn't change much over the course of, you know, a session. It really shouldn't. Uh, but your feelings about yourself can totally change, right? And I, I think when it has a purpose, when it has a meaning, uh, that, and it does something different. So my, my common things of cubes of chaos, uh, they don't do anything different. It's still just rolling these dice that are cubes and they're randomizers. They're still doing the same thing that a die does. So people are just going to call them dice. Uh, whereas grace is probably technically different than dexterity. And, you know, all the stats in Avatar Legends or all the stats in 
uh, masks. They're definitely not analogous to things like strength, wisdom, constitution, dexterity, charisma. Oh, comeliness, if you remember comeliness. Uh, they have nothing to do with those things, right? So I think when you have analogs that are just replacing another thing, people mm-hmm. will, by nature, like Misha said, default uh, to probably the word they use the most. Um, but if there's a functional reason for them to be different, then that will probably have a better chance of sticking in the psychology of people. Yeah. So Misha, where do you think that line is? I know that that's another, is there anything else that kind of helps you define that line? Because when we were talking earlier, that's the line we're all trying to walk, right? Making sure we walk the line where it's flavorful enough that it's great and immersive, but not so flavorful that it's clear, but not our language is so boring that everyone's like, wow, I have just read a text manual on the thing even though that's what it is right but still that's another that's another that's i think it's another panel <laughs> i think uh son made a good point it's it, it is a difference between is this making my what i'm writing stand out enough that it means something functionally different um so yeah. uh like but to, to go back to mass as an example uh they use potential as opposed to experience and it really does have a different resonance um, because it is what am I living up to my potential? I am now taking that potential and I'm using it to gain more skills as opposed to, you know, experience. Yeah. Experience feels like, okay, this is what I have done. Uh, and, and that's what's giving me this weight. So yes, they're analogous terms, but they do have a different connotation. And sometimes it's just in a matter of, yes, this word is different enough. Because that different connotation takes on a different weight and, and feeling to the whole thing. And that's when people choose to use that other word as opposed to, oh, well, that's close enough. Um, whereas, <laughs> right. you know, close enough in different, you know, does it feel close enough or does it feel different? I guess is a good way of, of, of looking at it. And I think weight and feeling is a re- are two really good terms that you put in there that help kind of define that a little bit harder, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. you can see value in it. But again, like I'm guilty of that. I could see value in this because I'm in my headspace, but other people are not in my yeah. headspace and therefore they don't see the same thing I do. But if it has that weight and feeling and, and utility and difference, then, then that's kind of where we see that line kind of defining itself a little bit more. It's always going to be nebulous. We can't, yeah. you know, this, no, everyone, this is the absolute definition, hard and fast. You can't, that's <laughs> right. But no, but it, it helps kind of. Strings is another yeah. good one. It's like, this is a bond we have with each other versus this is a string that I have tied around somebody else. You right. Know? Little word, word just, and they mean functionally the same thing, but they really do feel very different in the, those choices. Yeah, words do matter, right? And I think um, one of the terms I use a lot is, and I love, uh, Misha, when you say like resonance. Resonance matters so much to me uh, in game design where it has to really resonate with the player. And the other word I use a lot is gravitas. Uh, thinking about the gravity of a situation that makes you want to play the game. And if words can help do that, then by all means, use them. Because sometimes... So I'll give you a little story about a game we made about graffiti. It's about graffiti. I think, Jonathan, you might have played it. Um, it's just about matching cards and overlapping them to make patterns of graffiti. Um, and originally the game had, like, police. Because, you know, graffiti artists and police often mix it up. And, you know, you're running away and stuff like that. But nobody who played the game thought any uh, felt the pressure it's like, it's just the police. They're just going to slap us on the wrist. <laughs> That's it, right? Um, 
but then we said, okay, what if we put it in a world, in a world, uh, where, you know, you can't, because it was also about being quiet, the amount of noise you made while you're painting, uh, would alert the authorities, right? So what if it was a world where there were, <laughs> and wow, there was a movie that just came out about this. Holy cow. Uh, aliens that could only hear you, but couldn't see you. <laughs> And so you had to paint really quietly. And the messages that you're painting were like how to rebel against these alien overlords. Uh, anyways, so that changed the whole tone of the game. It changed the player's motivations. Now, just reading like a five line story about this stuff and then changing all the flavor of the cards to be slightly less about, you know, just painting trains in New York to like, you need to survive this, you know, alien invasion and the way you're doing it is by communicating drop locations by painting because they don't know how to interpret art these aliens right because they're aliens uh so that that gave it that gravitas that real like weight to the words where they words now mattered and so we were therefore now we changed terms all over the place uh because the original things of like you know mix a spray can and paint and things like that just weren't quite as they didn't fit anymore. Mm. Uh, they didn't have that weight to them anymore. So now we change those terms to other things. Like I can't remember them off the top of my head, but they mm. just had a little more oomph to them because the story now had oomph. So I really like that resonant uh, term that you use. I use it all the time. I think it's it's one of the things that I think about when I'm writing stories, uh, writing games, and designing. It's like, do, will this resonate with the intended audience? And what am I using mechanically? thematically in writing in my you know fluff in my in my mechanic writing and all, all to convey that to people that you need to understand this and it's called cubes of chaos for a reason i still i think my challenge to all of us is to use cubes of chaos in a game where it actually matters and that people will call it that and not feel silly when they call them that hey pass me the cubes of chaos silly though that's just it maybe the the feeling silly is the point of using yeah. chaos yeah even, and, even and with that's perfectly game. fine right uh, the other one is uh connotation though is uh -huh. especially with english is so precise and imprecise at the same time so oh, yeah. two words can technically mean the same thing but have very different connotations and so making sure you're using the one that you mean to. It's like, okay, I can use denizen. And that has a certain connotation versus resident. Whereas mm -hmm. technically they're the same thing, but they have very different, different images feel. that pro provoke in your head. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there are places where denizen is the one you want to use, where you want to have that grittier feel, whereas resident has that kind of a slightly lighter feel. And which one you choose really does matter. Like picking words with negative connotations is perfectly acceptable. If you're trying to have a negative connotation, negative feel and make it feel that way. Whereas if you're trying to make it a fluffier game, maybe doesn't is denizen isn't the word you really want. Right? No, that's, that's really, really good. And I think there's other pitfalls with flavorful text talking about connotations and denotations, right? Where you may not understand a connotation may be sexist or racist or insensitive or, or offensive in some way. Um, because 
you don't have that experience, uh, which goes back to why it's always important to make sure if you're going to be trying to do things that may have those things on it, you want to have sensitivity, right? Or consultants and all that kind of stuff to get those perspectives that you don't have because connotation is a very powerful, powerful tool. And, and if you are unaware of a connotation, it doesn't mean you didn't step in it. Right. You might not mean right. to step on my foot, but it still hurt when you stepped on my foot. It, but you still did. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Still happened. Right. Uh, so I have a question. I'm going to throw a couple of things, and then we'll see maybe if there's any questions uh, right now. Um, do you have a, t- a personal story about using maybe a flavorful term when you probably should have pulled back? Or do you have something you're like, you know what, we really could have maybe pushed that further and have it been a more flavorful term? Uh, something that you stand by, like ether. I <laughs> You're still on that ether kick, man. <laughs> ether is a perfectly lovely term, just not for a discard pile. Not for a discard pile. Uh, not for a discard pile. Yeah. I mean, so so just to say, to, just to defend Jonathan and his ether fix, uh, I can see it as it just went into the ether. Yeah, it went into, into the nothingness. I can I can see where you would get that. I can but also I, yeah. see why Misha doesn't doesn't well, like it, it because yeah. it's like most people wouldn't necessarily see that. Yeah, you may have noticed we have removed. If you ever play the game, we had removed it from the game. I lost that fight. <laughs> oh, that's a personal story. Got to think about this. Right, because we just did mine. Mine is very much uh, so. That game is is Hex Dex is the is the working title for it right now. And you know, the idea is you're all conjuring magic and you're pulling in magic, but any magic that you don't gets discarded to the ether. Like that's why. It was there, and it makes sense. Now it makes sense. (laughs) But but again, it makes sense because I had to give you that explanation. Yes. Right. And here's one. Oh no! Give us your explanation. Sorry. Oh no! That was the thing. Is that again? It goes back to the idea is that that's in my head, but what is in my head is not in everyone else's head. So I do have another rule of a rule uh, that I use when I'm doing this kind of stuff. Uh, If the if the term that I want to use just replaces like a single action or thing it's not good enough. Like it needs to be like a term that then refers to a bunch of stuff. Right. So, um, uh, so say in like, um, WWE rock, paper, wizards, uh, rock, paper, rock, paper, headlock, paper, scissors. I can't remember the title of the game. Yeah. Headlock, paper, you scissors. Too many uh, sense, that's why. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, you know, we could have just wrote the text of what this person's ability did, but the WWE superstars, they have legit names for their moves, right? And even though, yes, it might just be a DDT held a different way, it's still classified as their finisher, uh, for, you know, you know, or, you know, if Roman Reigns and we didn't write spear next to their special move, we would get in trouble with all the fans, right? Because that's what it's called and that's what he calls it and, you know, that kind of thing. Now, another person who does essentially a spear but might call it like a three-point tackle because their gimmick is as an ex-jock football player, we'd have to call it that, right? So, um, and Jonathan's smiling because we both love wrestling. Uh, so we know we, we like wrestling and that's what we're talking yeah. about. Uh, wrestling. We're fine. <laughs> yeah. Pro wrestling. Um, but that, that's an example where we had to use the terminology, um, that was given. And I would anyway, because the move did a bunch of stuff. If it's just, you know, you know, remove, like take two, do two damage. Uh, I would just write to do, do two damage. But because it has a whole bunch of things, like do two damage and move this and then do that, 
I need to call it something concise, like a, like uh, you know a specific move name, so that when people are asking questions about it, it's just I do this move, or hey, when my character does this move, what actually happens, right? I don't want them to say, hey, when I take two damage and do this and do this and do this, what actually happens? What's this? What what are we referring to? So the usage of language also as a reference point. Uh, where you can then go search it up in something, uh, where you can refer to it with other pl- to other players or to to other people about that. I think that's really important uh, to think about. And so, if it's just a single action, I try not to replace that with a flavorful term. But if it's multiple actions that we can collect and put under one umbrella term, I will pick an umbrella term. And that umbrella term, to be immersive and and fit the theme, usually is flavorful. There you go, Jonathan. That's that's another little little rule of writing for me, anyway. Misha's thinking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes a simpler term is just better. Um, mm. Like if I'm u- if I'm using a ten dollar word where a two dollar word will work, sometimes the two dollar word is better. Especially if you're depending on who who you're aiming the game at. Okay. Uh, for example, if I'm making a card game that's meant to be played with families, I don't want to be using a lot of big words. Little kids don't know a lot of big words, and if you just start throwing them in there, unless you're my kid who uses vehicle instead of car for some god only knows reason, um, it's it's easier to using those simpler terms is better. Um, because then it's a little more accessible to everybody. So some of it is accessibility. But if you're making, you know, in your example, you're making a game for a niche audience. You're making a game for WWE fans. They know these things. Mm. You So you don't necessarily need to market that simpler, dumbed-down version for everybody because you already have a market that you're defining for. Yeah. And so sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, thinking about... Who am I writing this game for? And what do I want them to be able to understand without knowing a kajillion? Or am I writing this for people who do already know a kajillion things about this topic? Um, yeah, like, yeah. If, if I'm making a game called Evil Princesses, okay, you, you gotta have that I'm aiming it at, like, my kindergartner. And, and it's like, okay, well, let's use simple terms that kindergartners understand. I don't need to throw in ether. Because if I tell my five-year-old Ether, they're going to go, what's Ether, mommy? And then I'm going to have to explain it. Yeah. You're going to say, talk to Uncle Jonathan. Yes. <laughs> You're going to have to say. Go ask Uncle John. This is like <laughs> the anti-Ether coalition on this side and then the Ether coalition on <laughs> yeah. what if I'm If I'm writing a game about magic and about, uh, let's take the magicians, uh, or, or you know, any of those yeah. top properties more where ether ma- is a term one, that yeah. they are using, then it is completely appropriate to use it there. There you go. Um, oh, here's a, a, a little tip for everybody out there. You might not know this app. It's called um, Hemingway App. It's it's a, it's a website actually. H with one M. Hemingway App. Uh, and what it does, it'll analyze your writing and tell you like the grade level that you're writing it at, and it'll flag words for you that might be a little too, you know, high brow uh, that you might want to tone down, um, so that the 
uh, writing is more approachable and accessible, right? So that's HemingwayApp.com, I think. Yeah, so it's pretty yeah. cool that there's stuff out there to help you with your writing, right? Yeah, this was not I mean, a paid advertisement. <laughs> no, I mean, this no, is like, I, I, I read no, no, a lot I'm of just books, joking. I'm so throwing I, I a joke. play a lot of Scrabble yeah. with my family who don't necessarily read the same books that I read, so they're like, that's not a real word. Like, it's totally a real word, Dad. And so then they go look it up and challenge it. Yeah, hey, look, it is a real word. Yeah, but, I, 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 I guess yeah. the kind of the, the local, the internet term for that would be how, 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 how much Googling do I need to do for your game, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Define this word. <laughs> Define that word, right? Um, yeah. And maybe, you know, if you have words that you're using that are out of the norm, have a glossary. Have an easy place that I can flip to, oh, that's what that word means, and flip back. Um, Here's an actual hint from uh, psychology is put that actually in the front. That's interesting. Like most yeah. people, most by logic, it's like, oh, that goes in the back. You know, who's going to use that? But the thing is that most people will. <laughs> they do need that. And if you front load that learning uh, before you're doing your fluent, like the fluent reading, like the reading that you have to do, like all at once. So you have like little definitions, maybe in the margins, maybe a block at the front. Uh, these are important terms you need to know to read the rest of the document. People will pick up the rules much faster because the reading is easier. When you break up your reading into oh, read and flip back and then flip back, oh, I've lost my point. Oh, I've read this three times. I still don't understand it. When you start with the uh, background information first that they need to know to read the rest of the document fluently, the uptake is quicker. So there you go. A little more psych for you. Um, so I'm going to throw out maybe what's what's your perhaps your most favorite flavorful term or thing you've ever put into a game and where and give me the story behind that how did that come to creation where do you decide to do it and why like not just this was really cool i liked it but here's the kind of thought process behind it throwing curveballs everybody that's what uh, yeah, i'm doing right yeah uh, <laughs> it's, you're making me think and it's it's not past noon yet John. yeah it's like early um favorite term Well, while they're thinking about that, I'm going to ask yeah. you to say, hey, hey, Brendan, do, you, do we have any questions or anything you think might be interesting from uh, from people watching? We do. We actually have one that is really close to what you guys were just talking about. Sure. Does PDF publishing create room for flavorful text when you can just mouse over and see a pop-up definition? Yeah. Ooh, flavorful text and technology. That's a really good good kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think it actually helps you be able to do that if the definition is right at the fingertips, literally at the fingertips of the person reading, right? So um, it makes it definitely makes it more approachable. Um, as long as people know those tooltips exist, then yeah, I'd say go for it without overwhelming people. Like you don't want a screen full of tooltips that just pop up all the time. Like if it looks like pop-up video, you might have gone too far. Oh God, there's a blast of the past. Right? Uh, I was say that for those who are not of a certain age, music videos are things. Oh right, yeah. Did I just ate all of us? I think I just ate all of us. You, you just did. You yeah, just did. Yeah, I ate it. Uh, yeah, so like what other technology tools do you think might be useful? Because I know there's a lot of push to again for accessibility for doing making sure we have like audio versions of books uh, and things like that. So how does a flavorful term then impact in something say like that i mean i we, just, we didn't even talk about this this is just me kind of throwing out there like other technology kind of ideas that we're, we're moving forward towards you know where where do you see that or how do you see that kind of affecting flavorful terminology in your games 
I think with like audio text, it's even more important to be concise with your term choices uh, because that ability to like do a pop up or to flip around doesn't exist uh, when you're because when you're playing something, it's it's hard to just like oh, yeah, how do I do that? Uh, so I, I think then it's better to just choose a term or the first time you use a term, make sure fluidly in the sentence that you're using it, define what it means. Uh, mm. So, like, if it, picking on ether again, if I'm saying, like, ether is a discard pile, where uh, is the term we're going to be using for discard pile where that is that is now removed from the game, um, for example. And then, so it's there in the sentence fluidly, and now they have that information and they can just keep going. And that's a good tip for even when you're doing it in writing. It's like, you know, the first time you're using a new term that you're going to be using as a game term, like, bold it and have a definition, you know, or at least an explanation of what it is right there. Before we move on from bolding, uh, please, 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 please refrain from using camel case as much as possible. Camel case, by the way, is is when you write, like, every second word with, like, a capital letter because it's an important oh, yeah, term. <laughs> it's a key term. Uh, reserve those types of things for very, very, very special things. Uh, so usually in rules, um, what we'll do is we'll, like, write the first instance of a keyword. We'll bold, um, indicating that this is a keyword, and there's probably a definition somewhere, which is, like, usually right next to it in the margin. Uh, and then we probably do marginalia and we also do glossaries and we also do other things like that. Uh, we want people to be able to find what they're looking for, wherever they think it should be. Right. Um, so this is going a little more into like rule writing and layout, but um, this also does work for flavor because flavor is something that if you want to add it, uh, you can't just assume everybody understands where you're coming from, Jonathan, uh, because they don't <laughs> live in your head, Jonathan. So, yeah, um, I, I, I would highly recommend thinking about how you're laying out your rules as well, because it will allow you to be more flavorful if you if you can uh, do things that are readable. And so the, the problem with things like camel case is that if you have everything capitalized, it becomes really hard to parse as a reader. And if everything's important, nothing's important, which is the other thing. So be very, use your, your capitalization and even your bold, use that kind of stuff very judiciously uh, because how the human eye works when we scan reading, uh, it will look for those things. It'll key in on those things. But if it's a if it's a, a wall of, of bolded text, then again, nothing is important. No, that's that's great. I think it's yeah. like you know, like it's all just different things. So, Misha, you have something else you're gonna add, or that was pretty good. Uh, and also, uh, screen readers really hate when you do that capital lower, capital lower thing. So, <laughs> totally hate that. It sounds so weird. If you're ever curious, take your text and run it through a screen reader. See what it sounds like. If it sounds weird, then you probably should tweak that so it sounds a little more fluid and a little less. But that also helps you catch a lot of errors. That's a great, when you're, great when you're, suggestion. Yeah, when you're, when, you're, when you're reading something, your brain knows what it's supposed to be looking for, but when you're listening to something, your brain does it because you're not looking at the text, so it's not making that skip automatically. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to, to say about like having stuff read back to you in terms of 
all of this, uh, rules writing, uh, flavorful text, uh, listen to read it out loud, see how it you know, trips off your tongue or if it, you know, is fluid. Uh, when you're listening to it, listen to, you know, if there are little hiccups and little ways that your, your ear doesn't pick up on things and nuances that you might not notice when you're writing. Because like Misha said, writing is a completely different and reading is completely different than listening. So. Awesome. Uh, all right. So, uh, Brendan, do we have an, any other questions? We sure do. Uh, <laughs> this question goes back to a little bit what you guys were talking about earlier. What do you make of the emergence of MC as a fairly sticky GM equivalent term in PBTA games? Any lessons or implications there? I... It works for me. <laughs> I think it just shows to the 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 growth of people who have started playing games that are not um, out of D and D. Again, I'm not here to say whether D and D is good or bad. I'm not here to say that. But when you say a term is the sticky term, it's because it is uh, in use, right? <laughs> if everyone is using this term, then it means it's the term that's popular and the term that's currently in use. So if more people are using MC as one, I think for me, all it's doing is just showing a increase in the in the widely availability and the the fact that people are playing them more and more first rather than coming in as D&D it's it's interesting i you know it's just again it goes back to i think our original point when we talked about how hey these are all great and everyone will you know it's a great place to have that flavorful term to help kind of drive how you want it because if you look at say what sense said with archivist right it's a term it's not master of ceremonies Right, it's a very different connotation, and it puts it in a different mindset in a different direction. So it's still plenty of space for other stuff. It's just an interesting kind of, I think, shift in the kind of general knowledge base of 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 players on the whole. There's even different mechanics right. being an archivist versus being yeah. a master of ceremony. If you look at games that you different titles, mm-hmm. uh, you're doing different things as that role. Um, mm-hmm. The I, I can tell you right now, uh, just based on Avatar Legends. There are going to be a lot of people who don't don't in, in, um, encounter DM as their first term because we had a ton, a whole lot of people who are first time, uh, not only first time backers but first time RPG players uh, get Avatar Legends. Um, so when it comes out, they will not have seen DM or GM as a term. So they will first encounter. Likely MC. I can't remember what we actually call it because it doesn't bother me what we call it in that particular game. So uh, it'd be interesting. I, I should go look and see what, what do you call it. I didn't write that part, so I don't know. Yeah, we call it Garuda. We use we do use Game Master uh, just because I think and I remember having the discussion about it at the time. It's like, okay, do we want to use a different word entirely? Uh, do we want to, or do we just want to? It's like, and sometimes. Path of Least Resistance is the reason you might choose, like, a GM or an MC yep. term. Um, because everybody who you're targeting in your audience already knows what that word means. And so, yeah. if it's not broke, why fix it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say not. it's gonna be GM because uh, it's a Magpie product and Brandon is the lead writer, so I'm gonna say it's gonna be GM. Because he used GM for masks. Uh, well, that, that's the other thing, like, in, so... If you are making a PBTA game, everybody knows like moves, 
We call mm-hmm. things moves. They're not feats. They're not powers. They're not abilities. They're moves. Um, and because of the language that you use in specific game systems, now you know if you've GM'd a PBTA game before, you know, oh, this is how moves are used. This is the standardization through language of, of usage, right? So of uses of mechanics. So I know that I wait for the narrative to happen. And then I say, oh, it sounds like you're doing this move, uh, which is definitely a different way of playing uh, mm-hmm. from people who are traditionally, you know, OSR style gamers. Um, but I like it better. So there you go. That's why I enjoy writing for PPTA games and why I like things like we used to be friends, Jonathan. <laughs> Well, See, I always you. bring it around. I always bring it around. Yeah, yeah, bring it around. <laughs> bring it back. Bring it back. Okay. Um, Not so, either. I don't like either. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. <laughs> um, so I guess you know we didn't. We've talked about it sideways. Uh, sideways up on the side a little bit, but let's talk about immersion, mm-hmm. right? And how does a flavorful term help with immersion? Right. Like, what in particular does it do for immersion? You know, when used again, say following a lot of the things that we talked about, where we know it's going to be, you know, it's it's not replacing. You know, it doesn't require a paragraph to explain what it does. It's not replacing a simple action. It's it's actually kind of we we feel it fits and it helps clarify. What other benefits are there from using flavorful terminology? Well, if, I think what y'all go ahead. I'm playing futuristic games, right? Mm. But I'm using terms that are usually used in like high fantasy worlds. That's not going to make me think futuristic. So that's a place where I want to use, okay, this is where I want to use those future. I want to talk about mechs. I want to talk about robo this, and I want to talk about uh, nano that. But it, if I'm taking those same terms and I'm putting that in a high fantasy world, and now I'm talking about mecha something, and I'm like, these are two very different situations. And they feel very different. So it's, it's again, back to the what feel am I trying to evoke with the words I'm choosing? Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to evoke a futuristic setting, I don't want to use archaic words. If I'm trying to evoke a more archaic setting, I don't want to use futuristic words. Uh, so placing in time and placing in space, like, uh, let's take Dune. It's a top-of-mind example. And... <laughs> Uh, Herbert used a lot of Arabic words for th- concepts within the Dune universe. And that automatically put your brain into a space where you were thinking about a desert world and a desert planet and this sort of thing. So by just choosing, rather than using the English equivalent, he's using a different word, it automatically evokes that feeling. And so... It- yeah, using those things, it's an instant shortcut to put you in that headspace that you want to be in to play that game. Right. But again, the issue coming up with talk before, the thing, the, the, one of the criticisms of Dune is that by doing this, he's also recreated stereotypes and, and, but yeah. White right. dude in the like 50s and 60s trying to encourage Arab oppression without ever having experienced Arab oppression. That's a totally different kettle of fish. Different topic. That's it's true, true, right? Yeah. It's yeah. true, right? You know. What, what's but what's it, that line from Ted Lasso? Oh, you found out your your, your dad's racist. He's a sixty year old man from South London. Of course, he's racist. I'm aware yeah, of this. pretty much. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because um, if you ever listen to you know 
Daniel uh, Kwan or anybody on Asians Represent and things like that, we'll always talk about um, the misuse of the word honor um, in any role-playing game that involves Asia. For some reason, y'all think we're all about honor. <laughs> we're really not. Uh, the, a better term would be face. If you want to be really technically correct, it's about face. Or duty might even be okay. But it's not honor. Um, and it's not, well, it could be honor, but it's not necessarily honor. And almost not, uh, almost definitely not the Western sense of honor. Um, and so, uh, language does matter, right? Context matters. All those things that Misha has been talking about totally matter. And we need to be very, very sure that when we use language that is, uh, trying to immerse in a world that we understand that world. Um, so an- another term, just, just this is a watch word to think about is, you know, what's the difference between the use of slave and enslaved people? There's there's a major connotative connotative difference, right? So we have to think about that when we're trying to use thematic words or thematic elements at all. Yeah, no, it's it's really important to have again, going back to the idea of that, you know, if you aren't paying attention, what are you gonna step in? Because right. you are not paying attention to the connotation of of the flavorful language that you're trying to use. Yeah. Right? Um Yeah, so we've got a couple minutes left uh brendan do we have any other questions you have plenty uh (laughs) you guys are very good at talking about things that are really close to questions so we're going to continue that path are there ways we're on trend are there ways to balance flavorful text so new players can painlessly grasp how to play but more experienced players can embrace the world building yes (laughs) (laughs) it goes back to knowing your audience and explaining things as you go along. So, you know, it's, it's yes, if you want to use a, a flavorful word, make sure you explain what that flavorful word, word means in context of your game. Yeah. And so you can do that uh, diegetically where it's actually in the world that you're explaining the world mm-hmm. term, or you can do that very expositorily where you are, like, as a watcher, like Owatu in, you know, what if, um, talking about that thing uh, from a very rules perspective, um, third person writing, whatever, as opposed to in the world writing. Uh, and both work. Uh, it just depends on how how much, uh, how good of a writer you are in some ways to put it in diegetically. Uh, to put it in just like part blanche, this is what it means, that's simple. It just may not be the most artful way, but it is the most direct way. <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons. Right. Misha, you have a thought on that one? or Play examples are great when you actually write out a play example um, and use the terms that you're, you're trying to define. Like, you know, if uh, I'm talking about discarding to the ether, I want to put that in a play example so that yeah. they understand what that means. Um, that's that's great. Um, that's really, really good. Uh, we build scripts uh when we are learning things, like that's how we learn how to do things. In a lot of ways, we build a script. And if we use the language as we're building scripts, so we talk through it, um, it's really, really important. In board gaming, we often talk about narrating our turn, um, which we do almost automatically in role-playing games, right? And so that whole idea of narrating a turn example in the rule book is really important to let 
new players know how they should act and behave and what they should, what they should say or could say. And again, I'm going to hold up Mask just because it's right next to my desk. Mask has some great examples of that from both the player and the GM side. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, there isn't much from either side, uh, but they did a really great job in Masks of catching both sides of the equation, uh, which made it actually much easier for me to pick it up. Even somebody who's played like lots and lots of PBTA games, when I picked up Masks, I really appreciated that because there were some differences because Masks is slightly different because all PBTAs are slightly different than each other, right? So the examples help to illustrate what those differences are and they, the language, the, def- the, the definite change in language was was exemplified in those. So it was great. Especially with card games and newer uh, board and card games and with with some of the newer technologies, if you can film and put on YouTube, like, a couple examples of this is how you set up the thing so that there's a visible example so that people can see. It's like, oh, that's what you're saying when you say do this to this thing. Like, I know what tap mana means because I played magic for forever, but if I tell my kid, hey, go tap mana, they're going to just look at me. <laughs> what does that mean? But yeah. hey, I have a um, video here that you could explain. You know, this is what this means when somebody says this. Um, and right. you know, with TikToks and Tumblrs and YouTubes, and there's plenty of options for yeah. for for putting that out there such that it's accessible for everybody. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I mean, I was going to say, like, if you're talking about narrating your turns, like, I watch a lot of, I play a lot of Commander for Magic, and so I watch a lot of the Commander stuff, and they're always like, this is the step, now I do this, this is the step, now I do this, right? So it's interesting to have that kind of scene happening in any type of, like, you know, like you said, and it happens naturally in an RPG, but we're seeing it happen kind of that crossover into board games and and card you know collectible card games as well where people are narrating their turn providing that well, script. well for sure in in magic it has to happen because i can't read your tiny font cards from my side of the table so you <laughs> right. gotta tell me what you're doing so i can see what that even says the reminder text now which is the whole text of the card it just has the, the keyword and then the yeah. reminder text i mean literally just watch Yu-Gi-Oh, right like haha you fell into my trap card right they're narrating their turns yeah Okay, uh, Brendan. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Yep. Is HP entrenched enough as a term that we should all embrace it, or is the profusion of alternate names and tweaked systems like stress, conditions, darkness, etc., a development justified by flavor? Conditions well, the- are very different from hit points. Yeah, and that was a very well written question. Yeah, it was. Let me put to that. But yeah, uh, to me, those those things do mean very different things. Like hit points, unless they're <sighs> so. There's a lot of different ways that just do damage systems in general. There's a lot of different ways that that things work. Uh, systems that use just flat hit points, where it's like, okay, it doesn't matter whether I got thwacked in the head or I got thwacked in the arm or I got thwacked in the leg. We're just going to reduce my hit points by this much, and when I fall below this, I'm dead or severely injured or whatever. Yeah. That's like one set. Then there's you know you've got your your PBA TA style conditions where it's like all right I got I, f- I feel this way so I'm going to be a little worse at these moves until I clear up this condition uh, that's that's another set and then you've got uh, some more, some of your more targeted uh, if I take X amount of damage to this body part then this body part doesn't work kind of things which is somewhere in between those two things and those are different enough that they weren't warrant different terminology and different ways of talking about. Them. Uh, so 
I don't like hit points as in general, just because it doesn't make sense that, you know, I can get collected in the, in the leg for all day and my leg doesn't hurt, but I'm going to die from getting kicked in the leg 400 times. That's not generally <laughs> how it works. And that my shins might doctor. really hurt, but yeah, but I'm not generally going to die. Uh, so that's just a, a, a personal quirk of mine. Yeah, I, I think I think definitely they do because they mean different things. Like, so stress is very different than health is very different than uh, what other what other damage tracking that you're doing if you're doing any at all. Um, and that goes to what stories do you want to tell? You know, do you want there to be death? Do you want there to be loss? Do you want there to be is this a game that is talking about the mental anguish that people feel when they are incarcerated? Um, so I made a game uh, about that pretty much, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, prisoners. It was like children put in cages at the border. Um, I don't know if you've played that, Jonathan. <laughs> that was a weird one. But we didn't track health. We tracked memories, right? Because that's actually what happens to uh, a lot of the kids who were incarcer- are incarcerated. They lose their contact with their family. They lose their memories. All of their memories of happy childhood is re- are replaced with like awful memories of being in a cage and a like equivalent of a concentration camp. So that's what we tracked, and it matters that it wasn't hit points because hit points would not have again had that gravitas, would not have that resonance, would not have that that moment of oh my gosh, that's what's happening. I'm not dying, but I'm losing bits of myself that are possibly more important than health, right? So there's a lot of stuff in there and that question that I I, I think, yes, it does warn it depending on what those things are doing. If you're using hit points, just like all other hit points are used in all other systems that use hit points, perhaps just call them hit points because that way people will understand what you're doing. But if you're doing something markedly different with it, or if it's supposed to represent something markedly different than just like, I'm alive or I'm dead, uh, then yeah, I mean, a, a different word is totally plausible. Awesome. Well, since we're at the two-minute warning, uh, where can we find everyone's stuff? Uh, Sen, where can we find your stuff? Oh, uh, you can find my stuff on, uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Lim. S-E-N-F-O-O-N-G, L-I-M, and my game with Banana Chan called An Exquisite Crime, which is a GM-less drawing game of surreal crimes that are solved by psychic detectives, is currently on Kickstarter. We're on day two or three, I think. We're almost funded. So, uh, you know, it wasn't Avatar Legends, <laughs> but <laughs> it's still a really cool game. Uh, in fact, it's one of my favorite games that we've ever made because it's just really interesting. Uh, you play by making exquisite corpses, and if you know what that is then um, you can you understand. But if you don't know what that is, go look it up. You can actually see Banana make one on her Twitter or my Twitter or her Instagram or TikTok if you follow her. Um, so yeah, go check there. Me, uh, you can find yeah, you. me yeah, on uh, Twitter as BG Gameworks or my website, blackrobegameworks.com. Uh, you can also find uh, a curation of stuff that I, I work on uh, with a couple other people where we collect uh, games by gender marginalized designers. It's called More Seats at the Table. It's a bi-weekly newsletter uh, and you can sign up for that and get it free to your mailbox where we highlight things like 
uh, Monstrous Consumption, which is another game by Banana Chain. Yeah. It's in, on Kickstarter and, and amazingly cool and, uh, and stuff like that. And Jonathan, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so you can find me pretty much everywhere on as Firestorm Inc. on Twitter, itch, drive through RPG, on the website, firestorm-inc.com. Uh, you know, uh, my recent game that I'm trying to finish up, I'm trying to finish up the final version of We Used to Be Friends, which is my teenage detective powered by the apocalypse uh, d- d- collaborative game. So there's no no GM. You just kind of build the mystery you build together. So uh, thank you, everyone, for attending. Greatly appreciated the questions. Lovely conversation. Thanks, Misha. Thanks, Sen. And uh, we will see you all. Hopefully you enjoy the rest of the convention.